we told you that there's a male-only fraternity that has existed since the 1800s and is said to be behind some of the most impactful events of the last 200 years. This club is exclusive, highly secretive, and many members range from artists to business leaders and even politicians, including some former presidents of the United States. We're going to tell you all about the Bohemian Club, their rise to power, and how they've been said to have controlled historical events, the most famous being meetings that led to the creation of the Manhattan Project and the atomic bomb. Hello everyone, come one, come all, and welcome to Sinister Society's A Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And every week we're going to cover your favourite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And today, we've told you before, we'll tell you again, we're going to tell you all about the Bohemian Club, a private Northern California-based gentleman's club that has counted some very prominent people as its members. We'll go back to when it all started in 1872, how the club quickly rose in power, and some of the strangest and most interesting historical events it has influenced. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. So let's get into it. And where better place to start than the Bohemian Club's somewhat humble beginnings? It was originally founded in 1872 by an all-male group of successful artisans, lawyers, and journalists based in San Francisco. Six years later, the club moved to its current location in Monterio, California, which is about 75 miles north of San Francisco. When the Bohemian Club bought the original land called the Bohemian Grove, it was about 160 acres. Then another 120 acres was added in the next few years. According to researcher G. William Domhoff, land purchases continued throughout the decades, and the grove reached its present size of 2,700 acres in 1944. That's quite the growth. Certainly. I don't know if you can call it a grove if it's that absolutely enormous. Isn't a grove like a fen? That's what I would have thought. But maybe it's like, oh, just look at my little grove, my 2,700-acre <laughs> grove. So the entire property as we said, spans about 2,700 acres in the heart of the Redwood Forests. Per research done by Peter Martin Phillips, the Astor Hotel on Sacramento Street in California served as the clubhouse for the first Bohemians. Organised in 1872, the Bohemian Club was established as a gathering place for newspaper reporters and men who like arts and literature, which sounds like a little bit of a euphemism. <laughs> and for those of you unaware... The origin of the term bohemian comes from the French artistic movement of the 1830s. It always makes me think of Moulin Rouge. That's all I can think about. It makes me think of 
the kind of interior design I don't like. <laughs> oh, yo, that's so true. <laughs> if I had to pick a place to take you that would make you feel very upset, it would be like a bohemian themed castle on Lake Como. You'd just have it just die. No, thank you. Boho. No, thanks. <laughs> Boho. Oh, no. <laughs> Quick, say something else. <laughs> No, I'm going to let that hang like the festering sock that it is. And apparently the original meaning of the word bohemian was not boho, oh no, it was actually a representation of the mutual supportive companionship of artists and intellectuals. On June 29th, 1878, around 100 bohemians gathered in the Redwoods for an evening send-off party for one of the founding members. And a summer tradition was born. This party had lots of free-flowing liquor and they used paper lanterns as decorations. They partied, and under the light of these lanterns, they partied late into the night. And then they fell asleep on the redwood needles using nothing but blankets to keep them warm. And this has become the club's yearly camping tradition. Did they start Coachella? <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> it really does sort of stink of the like, the privileged person, let's go and pretend to be poor for a weekend. There's something quite distasteful about it. Reconnecting with nature. So according to Phillips, by the 1880s, quote, businessmen had joined the club in large numbers. Original bohemians found that admitting men of wealth helped pay the expenses. Surprise, surprise. That's generally how it works. Yeah. Come on, guys. That's the business plan. Get with the program. So the 1887 roster has an interesting combination of literary figures and San Francisco businessmen, including social radical Henry George, four members of the Crocker banking family, William Randolph Hearst, and Bay Area shipbuilder Arthur W. Moore. Presumably some of those names meant more to people in 1887. Not a sausage over here, I'm afraid. They sound very impressive, though. Oh, I'm impressed. If I were going to start a secret club and needed money, these are the men I would want to join. Yeah, by name alone. I'm just as bemused as I am impressed in equal measure. And so Phillips continues by saying that honorary members included Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, Oliver Wendell Holmes, Mark Twain. I know that one. Know that one, exactly. Got it. Tick. And poet, Joaquin Miller. Apparently, Oscar Wilde. I know that one. Was... <laughs> was even entertained at the Bohemian Club in 1882. And it's said that he drunk his guests under the table. In 1887, the entrance fee for joining the club was $100. Ooh, in 1887? Yeah, it's $3,000 in today's Hello. Uh, post-recession bullshit money. And the Jews were $3 a month, which equates to about $90 a day. So it ain't cheap. Considering America was heading straight first into a massive depression, it's quite... Uh, quite the sum. And the Great Depression didn't stop them either because by 1930, it had risen to a $500 initiation fee and a 15-month due. So today's money, that's more than $8,000 for the initiation fee and about $250 for the monthly dues. If I found out that somebody was paying $8,000, like today, to join this club and then paying £250, $250 every single month, I'd be like... There must be some wild shit going on. I mean, yeah, but like you can just go camping. Someone should tell them. This is what I'm saying. So therefore there's got to be something on top uh, of it. Okay, okay. So okay. what are you doing? Right. Sacrificing unicorns or something. Like there's got to be something worth paying that kind of money for. And typically, if it's a group of people who are incredibly wealthy getting together doing this, probably something insidious. Mm, yes. Just saying. So according to Phillips, this is also a quote. 
Grove additions and improvements have resulted in elaborate redwood staircases, winding forest trails, several miles of paved roads, and a central dining area that seats more than 1,500 people. I do want to see it. I would quite like to see it, but also if I was giving somebody $8,000, I'd want a bit more than just a forest trail. Yeah, I'd want a little bit more than a staircase made out of a tree. And a big dining room, a big restaurant. I've got a dining room in my house. I'm fine, mate. (laughs) So the Grove also includes, quote, a large campfire circle. Again, all right, whatever. An art studio, a museum, a civic centre, a bar and cafe, and two magnificent outdoor theatres. Why do they need a civic centre? What a boring way to waste your money. (laughs) These people have got no imagination. Demand unicorns. (laughs) Writer and journalist William Henry Irwin said of The Grove, quote, You come upon it suddenly. One step and it's glory all over you. Whoa, I'm not sure, not sure I would like glory all over me. Thank you very much. There's no perspective. You cannot get far enough away from one of the trees to see it as a whole. There they stand, a world of height above you, their pinnacles hidden by the topmost fringes of branches or lost in the sky. All right, Wills. It's quite the romantic. Yeah. A flowery writer is William. He is. Very glowing review. I was going to say, could you just chop that in and add it into um, a review in, I don't know, the evening standard for the new marble mound in London? Oh, my God. (laughs) So, oh my god so for our international listeners i don't know why why this happened i feel like i don't know the backstory it's because they were like we haven't massively embarrassed this city since the millennium dome let's have another fucking go at it garden bridge <laughs> oh yeah so they decided that they were going to create london's brand new hotspot attraction and it was called marble well, it's not was it's still there it's called marble mound and um, I don't know how to... It looks, it's a pile of rocks. Yeah, it's a pile of rocks with some astroturf on it yep. or some turf on it. Yeah. It's really bizarre. And it's bloody massive. Yeah. And it costs loads of money. And um, I just love the idea that, that a newspaper just like pays off a, a reviewer to go look at it and say of the marble mound. And suddenly, one step and its glory is over you. <laughs> There's no perspective. You can't get far enough away from it to see it as a whole. You can't get far enough away from it to see that it is, in fact, an incredibly disappointing pile of rocks with some plastic grass on it. (laughs) Oh, dear. But no, I'll take William Henry Irwin's review on The Grove as fair. I do sound like a very magical place. I mean, stick a redwood anywhere I'm going. This is also true. Coming up, we'll get into the Bohemian Club's rituals and members, and how the secretive fraternity became fodder for journalists who attempted to infiltrate it. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, then. Let's talk about the members of the Bohemian Club and some of the more bizarre rituals that have become commonplace at the Grove. According to Vanity Fair, currently, if you want to join the Bohemian Club, you have to either be invited 
by several members, or you have to wait patiently for decades on a thousand name long waiting list. Like trying to get an allotment in London. Yeah, yeah. I'll be dead before I have my parsnips. <laughs> There's also, of course, you'll be unsurprised to hear, a rather hefty initiation fee, which we were grumbling about the 8,000. That initiation fee today is $25,000. And there are also some pretty hefty yearly dues. From research by G. William Domhoff, this is what we know. Apparently, first you have to be nominated by two current members. Then you have to fill out an application for a background check. Then you have to take part in the arts. And you have to list these arts. Which particular arts? Dark arts, Dark magic arts, arts. <laughs> arts and crafts. <laughs> you have to be a member of the arts and crafts movement. The art of war. The art of sale i don't know whatever and then you have to name up to 13 other members that you personally know i feel like this is very stacked against you yeah unless you're quite literally george bush i think it's pretty unlikely then you have to interview with every member of the membership committee while they receive letters of recommendation from every member that you said you knew not to sound reductive uh-huh but if you meet all of these criteria, you are okay anyway. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't understand the attraction of this singular camping trip. It's the unicorns. It's the unicorns. You're right. Sorry, how foolish of me. So in order to be elected into the club, you have to then receive nine yes votes from an 11-person membership committee. But this isn't a guarantee because sometimes receiving the nine necessary votes just means that you get put on the wait list. After all that... Gutting. After all that, gutting. After joining the bloody dark arts, and you just get put on the fucking wait list, and you're out twenty five grand. Bohemian club members can schedule private use of the grove at any time that it's not being used for club wide purposes. That's an attraction. That's a perk. During these times, members are allowed to bring spouses, family, and friends. Although those pesky women and children, they have to be out of there by ten o'clock, right off the property. This is the thing I don't understand, right? I can understand the getting the children off the property by mm -hmm. 10pm. If all the women are gone, what are you all doing? You know exactly I what know they're exactly doing. I know exactly what they're doing. Killing unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> so, per Vanity Fair, as of 2007, there were 118 camps distributed around the site's central feature, which is a man-made lake watched over by a towering owl shrine it's weird design yes but apparently the owl is significant the owl has actually become a symbol of the club since its very first year because it symbolizes the wisdom of life and companionship that allows humans to struggle with and survive the cares and frustrations of the world which is pretty rich coming from a group of men with nothing about has ever happened to but according to author mark rich the owl is found on all bohemian materials from matchbook covers and doormats to the most elaborate club publications. Members are allowed to invite guests to the Bohemian Grove for certain club-wide events, presumably not if they have a vagina though. The two main events to be invited to are the Spring Jinx in June and the main July encampment. Encampment. It's not a great word. No, I don't like it. Mm -mm. According to researcher G. William Domhoff, when the men arrive, they first get settled at their camps and then they visit with old friends. That night, they have their first dinner in a huge open-air dining circle. 
they hear welcoming speeches imagine being an av for these guys must be an absolute fucking nightmare and then all present give a cheer to the old guard who are people who've been members of the club for 40 years or more and then they pay their respects to the quote-unquote fallen leaves and that means members who died in the last year so like the thing they do at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. exactly so the summer hijinks begin with a ceremony called the quote cremation of care why not yeah sure the ceremony takes place at the owl shrine and in front of the owl is a stage an effigy of a human called dull care is mock sacrificed by a group of men wearing red robes with sharp pointed hoods, then placed in a little boat to be sent across a small lake and set on fire. The red-robed men also carry a, quote, human body that looks real enough to be lifelike at a glance. It's obviously an imitation, and it's made of, like, black muslin wrapped in, like, a wooden skeleton. So they're doing all this, and the body, like we said, is called Mr. Dullcare, just to give him his full name (laughs) and title. And it symbolizes the, quote, concerns and woes that important men supposedly bear in their daily lives. And it's cremated on the first Saturday night of the two-week encampment at Bohemian Grove. According to Domhoff, since 1932, a meadow that people can see when they watch the cremation of care has also been the setting for informal talks. Entertainers, professors, astronauts, business leaders, cabinet officers and future and former presidents have all spoken there. And Vanity Fair says each member is also assigned to a camp. The fanciest camp is called Mandalay and then there's the Hillbillies camp after that. Other camps have names like the Derelicts, Five Easy Pieces, Poison Oak, Rattlers. It's like rich boys play Mad Max. Mm, yeah, yeah. And Herbert Hoover, of all people, once called it, quote, the greatest men's party on earth. And I find it incredibly ironic that Herbert Hoover, which let's not forget the people living in a literal shanty town in Central Park under his presidency were literally camping under the stars and he went and did it for fun. That's outrageous. It's the greatest men's party. I mean, in, in that case, all's <laughs> forgiven, Herb. So a number of journalists have also managed to infiltrate the campground with mixed success. Alex Sharmatov investigated reports that the club was illegally logging for Vanity Fair. And he was actually caught and detained for trespassing. Philip Weiss, for Spy magazine, snuck into the Bohemian Grove in 1987 and wrote about it. According to Business Insider, quote, he spent a few days mingling with the rich and powerful as they attended speeches, boozed it up from morning to night, and urinated on trees. That's why the women aren't allowed. They just want to be able to be free. They just want to swing their dicks around and piss on stuff. <laughs> on Gorka... Sophie Weiner also described her own stint working as a dining server at The Grove in 2016. She described it as a place where the elite could, quote, engage in behaviour that doesn't usually fly for people of their stature in the regular world. Okay, so it kind of feels like these are wealthy, powerful, rich men And if they do these kind of things in a local pub or bar in their area, someone's going to spot them, take a bunch of pictures or write about it. Here they just get to go and be like adult frat boys blowing off a bit of steam. Uh, yeah. 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 But isn't that every member's club? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But this is like 
we'll do it outdoors so we can burn things. Yeah, true, 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 true. <laughs> and as far as rules go at the Grove, a surprise, there aren't really any. And even the ones that there are, nobody listens. The most famous one is, quote, weaving spiders come not here, which is from A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I hate as a play. No one cares, Hannah, keep going. But really what it means in this context is not to do business while at the Grove. And I think we can safely assume that that rule is completely ignored. And another unwritten rule is that everyone drinks a lot all the time. And that rule is certainly not ignored. In fact, it's upheld with fervor. (laughs) Next up, how the Bohemian Grove gained influence, including Manhattan Project meetings at the Grove that led to the atomic bomb. Okay, let's talk about the influence that the Bohemian Grove has garnered and the fallout from their dated practices. The Grove has often been accused of being sexist by protesters and conspiracy theorists. And me. Who say that it allows rich and powerful men the opportunity to make deals in private. In a dissertation by Peter Martin Phillips about the Bohemian Club for UC Davis, he wrote about the issues within the club. He said, quote, While I was at the Grove, a former candidate for Congress frankly admitted to me the politicians frequently work the Grove, going from camp to camp to meet people. Female politicians obviously can't do this, so they often send their male campaign managers. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Oh, let me speak on behalf of the woman. (laughs) And yeah, obviously, that's very insidious as well. Not just the fact that they're not allowing female politicians the same equal ability to be as completely corrupt as they are being by conducting these matters behind closed doors, the fact that they're also doing it. A lot of underhanded, a lot of shady, you know, you rub my back, I'll rub yours, quite literally, and maybe in a business sense. And in a business sense, and then we'll go and piss on trees together and cross swords. Exactly. In 1978, the Bohemian Club was charged with discrimination, oh no, by the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing over their refusal to hire female employees. I'm taking it the employees aren't, you know, they're not invited to the party. They're just serving the people who are there. Not that this makes it not an equality issue, but I can't think of anything fucking worse. That's what I mean. I'm like, who brought this case against them? I'm like, why the fuck would you want to work there? It sounds bloody horrible. Yeah, it really does. And in January 1981, an administrative law judge issued a decision supporting the practices of the club, noting that the club members at the Grove, quote, urinate in the open without even the use of rudimentary toilet facilities and that the presence of females would alter the club members' behaviour. So for the sake of their freedom to we outside, no jobs for women. I guess they're like, look, we just don't have port facilities. We don't have chemical toilet facilities. I just can't possibly live my life without my alfresco wee twice a year. I don't think that's too much to ask. I'm Bill Clinton. Exactly. However, this judge's decision was overruled by the State Fair Employment and Housing Commission. On October 17th, 1981, the club were ordered to begin recruiting and hiring women as employees. I wonder how that went. So in 1942, planning for the Manhattan Project took place at The Grove, leading to the creation of the atom bomb. 
and, of course, the eventual bombing of Hiroshima. Manhattan Project scientists Ernest O. Lawrence, Louise Alvarez, Edward Teller, and Glenn Seaborg were all Bohemian Club members. Other people with important connections to the Manhattan Project were involved with the Bohemian Club and Grove too. We mentioned earlier on in this episode some famous names that have been members of the Bohemian Grove, but I know you can't get enough. Here are a few more for you. Theodore Roosevelt was granted honorary club membership when he became president. And Business Insider say, quote, Herbert Hoover joined the Bohemian Club in 1913. By that point, he had amassed a fortune of four million in the mining and engineering industry. Hoover and a group of fellow Stanford alumni ultimately founded their own camp in the Bohemian Grove called the Caveman Camp. Once again, (laughs) people living in the shantytown in Central Park, they called it Hooverville. That's absolutely true. I mean, the irony is not lost on me. (laughs) Ronald Reagan, I'm least surprised that Reagan was in it, uh, was officially inducted into the Bohemian Club in 1975. Could not wait to get away from Nancy. And it was the year before he tossed his hat into the ring for the 1976 presidential campaign. George H.W. Bush joined the club in 1973 and he also brought along a future president as a guest on one trip to Bohemian Grove. It was, of course, his strapping son, George W. Bush. Bush Sr. brought George W. to a lakeside talk in 1995 and then he said that he would make a great president and as it was said, so it shall be done. Clint Eastwood, Henry Kissinger, Walter Cronkite, and Jack London, author of Call of the Wild, have all been members. And Walter Cronkite, being the broadcasting superstar that he is and was, voiced the owl during the cremation of care ceremony. (laughs) What's the owl saying, I wonder? Where is my unicorn? Mm -hmm. Quite. The Bohemian Grove has also been mentioned in popular culture. Richard Nixon was caught trash-talking the Bohemian Club on the Watergate tapes. I mean, that's probably why they got him. <laughs> they would have swept it all away if it hadn't been slagged them off. If only hadn't slagged them off. <laughs> Those unicorn murderers. And the Grove is also vaguely mentioned in season two of the HBO series True Detective. Don't waste your time. Season two is absolutely terrible. Yeah, season two is not good. It's not good. Season one is some of the best television ever made. I think I need to watch it again because that last episode, I was like, what happened? I mean, I understand what happened, but I was like, what? I think I need to watch it again. Let's save it for when we go away next time. That would be a good thing to do. Excellent. Season two, though, no thanks. Absolutely not. Bohemian Grove was also the inspiration for a season five episode of the Netflix series House of Cards. Less time spent on Kevin Spacey, the better, I think. I'm trying to think about which episode that was. I vaguely remember. It's gone, though. The Bohemian Grove still exists today and continues their two-week July encampment ritual every year. So don't expect any politics to happen in those two weeks of July because they're all pissing on trees. Oh, yeah. They're all off anyway. They take the whole of the summer off, don't they? <laughs> Do they? Yeah. Famously, no politics happens when the sun's shining. Yeah, you got to have a big, long summer. you got to have a big, long summer. So, yeah, it's a weird one, the Bohemian Grove. And I think the video footage of journalists who have gone and, like, shot footage of them doing, like, the dull care, Mr. Dull Care cremation and stuff like that, I think it has seeped through into a lot of popular culture. And whenever you see stuff talk about cults or secret societies, you always have that kind of robed figure. Yes, yeah. The statues hanging out in the woods. 
burning shit. I feel like. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think in sort of like pop culture sense, it has sort of permeated quite a lot of things, presumably because so many people fucking go. Yeah. And it's uh, it's not that difficult to sneak in. But what I would say about the Bohemian Grove, it kind of sounds worse than it actually is. This is the thing. I think of all of the sinister secret societies we've covered, this nice. is, thank you, this is probably one that I feel like it's the least insidious. Yeah, I mean... For sure, they're having big meetings about stuff. But if they weren't doing it in a wicker owl in the middle of a forest, they'd be doing it somewhere else. Of course. And they're just like, they just want to have a bit of fun pageantry to it. So they're like, let's get the wicker owl out. And that little wooden skeleton man that we burn for some reason, I think it's probably, yeah, just a way to have a little bit of weird fun and do some business and secret politics behind everyone else's back. Yes, which they're all doing anyway. But at Bohemian Grove, they get to do it with the unicorns. Exactly. Thank you ever so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. And we'll be back next week with another great episode. And we just want to mention that for today's episode on the Bohemian Club, we referenced a dissertation by Peter Martin Phillips called A Relative Advantage, Sociology of the San Francisco Bohemian Club. And we also referenced reporting by the LA Times. And also Julian Sancton's article, A Guide to the Bohemian Grove for Vanity Fair. And of course, finally... The book, The Bohemian Grove and Other Retreats by G. William Dornhoff. If you are still here, make sure you remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, then be sure to follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. Bye. Goodbye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Gemma Waters. Sound designed by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood. And fact-checking by Cara McAleen. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>